Well, you know, last week I, I finished out the series that I've been doing called Here and Now. And uh, as I was wrapping up my message last Sunday, I, I made, this, uh, made a series of comments and I want to open it up with this, those comments this morning. This is what I said. Remember, every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And being present in your here and now means the middle of your story is being written now. You know, going forward, we need to choose to be present in the story that God's telling. It's a story that started when God spoke the world into being. It's a story that continued until Jesus himself came, and it continues until Jesus is going to return as the King of Kings. And it's that story that transcends history, and it continues to transform the world. And so today we're starting a whole new series, which is called Is Jesus in Your Story? You know, some of my all-time favorite stories to read are based on fact that geography in the story is real. I don't know if are there any Louis L'Amour fans out there. Louis L'Amour is a famous for writing westerns, but when he writes about a particular spring or a particular mountain range, they are actually geographically there. The characters. Well, I love reading stories or novels that are written where the characters or the, the nature of the character is actually fact, but they've, they've put a different name to that person. And the outcomes of some of those stories could actually happen today. Oh man, they, they, are, they are stories I can get completely lost in. Like so lost that my kids can be going, Dad, Dad, and I'm not even there. You know, a real story when it's told, could actually have a different word. It could be called a testimony. Because a testimony is this. It's a formal written or spoken statement, especially one given in a court of law. Say, for instance, the testimony of a witness. It's the evidence or proof of something, perhaps even a religious conversion or some sort of experience. Now, there is a book in the Bible. Well, actually, the whole Bible really is a testimony. But there is a particular book in the Bible right at the end called Revelation written by the Apostle John. He was quite often called John the Revelator. And the book of Revelations literally is a written testimony, a written account of an encounter that he had. And in Revelations chapter 19, verse 10, from the Passion Translation, it says this, At this I fell face down at the angel's feet. Now, in verse 9, it literally says, The angel says, You need to write this down. This is none other than the Word of God. So, so John is literally taking dictation from an angel on behalf of God. At this I fell face down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he stopped me and he said, don't do this. For I am only a fellow servant with you and one of your brothers who clings to what Jesus testifies. Remember, Jesus said, I only do or only say what the Father says. So Jesus himself gives testimony of God's story. And then the angel um, goes on to say, worship God. This testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I had a blast with the year, uh, year nine tens at our school last Thursday. They've been, they were answering a question, what does it mean or what does it look like to know, to believe, and to trust God? And so I told them some of my stories. I gave testimony of some of the stories of God in my life. And I taught them that this, this last part of verse 10 says this, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? If it happened before, it can happen again. 
If Jesus gives testament of this event, it can happen again. Signs and wonders. Jesus gave testament. He literally was there and people testified of him raising, raising people from the dead. It can happen again. People being healed, it can happen again. Signs and wonders happening in the heavens, it can happen again. And you know what? There's no better story. There's no better book to read than the Bible itself. And, and you've heard me talking about this over recent weeks. I cannot help but be fully immersed when I read the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is historically accurate. It is geographically real. Our church is called Elam. Elam was the oasis, the second spring or the second oasis that the Israelites came to when they were escaping from Egypt. Elam is still there. You go on Google Maps and you Google Earth and you, get, you zero down on it. The, the oasis of Elam is still there. The Bible is geographically accurate and real. The characters in the Bible, whilst they're no longer alive, but their story is and the characteristics of them are real. The Bible is good news. Now, I want to read to you this morning a, a passage of verses out of the book of Isaiah, which talks about good news, gives testimony, lays the foundation for the story of good news. Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing for joy, for before their very eyes, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Now, you've got to remember, just pausing there, we've got to remember Jerusalem's in ruins right now. And the Israelites are in exile. Carrying on into verse 10, the Lord has demonstrated his holy power. Before the eyes of all the nations, at the ends of the earth, we will see the victory of our God. At the ends of the earth. Did you know geographically, Christchurch, the city of Christchurch in the South, South Island, is, is the furthest point away from Israel. You go anywhere on the compass, north, south, east or west from Christchurch, and you are starting to get closer to Israel. How cool is that? So right, what's it? at the ends of the earth, we will see the victory of our God. Guess what? In New Zealand, the ends of the earth, we can still get to see the victory of our God. Isaiah testified of that. How cool is that? Now, let me give you a little bit of insight into me reading this. Verse 8, the watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their very eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Put yourself on the walls of the city. You're a watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. You've been watching out. You know the enemies have been coming and surrounding and attacking and are destroying your city. You are currently on watch. You are on watch on the walls. And you see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, returning. I mean, can you think about it? It says they break into joyful song for the Lord comforted. That, you know what? That event is now in their story. The return of the king is in their story. Their lives will be changed, were changed forever. The king was in their story. Will Jesus be in yours? Let's pray.
God, you are ever-present. You are all-encompassing. You are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise. Never-ending. Your story is continuing, and you've chosen to include us in it. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would come and, and you would take us to a whole new place in your word. You would take us to a whole new place in your story and be in our story. I invite you now, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Wherever we are gathering, wherever people are watching this live stream, I ask now that you would pull back the curtains of heaven that your presence would be evident, resident, and resonant in hearts and minds all over the world right now. Father, we've got people joining us from all over New Zealand. We've got people joining us from South Africa. Lord, we've got people joining us from other countries too, I'm sure. Lord, right here in Blenheim, to the far parts of the world, Lord God, you are real. Come and touch our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Isaiah prophesied. He gave testimony of the coming king. Do you realize that was some 700 years before Jesus actually arrived? I'm sitting here listening to, sitting there listening to Amber's uh, message for the kids this morning. I looked at Suzanne and went, it's in my notes. <laughs> and we have not compared notes. How good is God? Isaiah prophesied he foresaw the one who would not just arrive bringing good news to Israel, but he would put himself in the story. Isaiah prophesied something incredible. One who was coming who would bring peace and salvation, and everyone would see Jehovah Hamelech, the Lord, the King who reigns. He would be seen, he would be visible, he would be real, and he would be in their story. Not once at all did God ever give up on his people. God had not, God has not, and God will not give up on his people. They, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they were God's chosen people that through them, the world would discover the pathway to freedom, to salvation, to release from the bondage of sin and idolatry. Just read the word of God. It started in Israel. Actually, it started way before Israel was formed, but they were a chosen people that God chose, turned into a nation, and now the nations of the world hear the good news. Where do we fit in that? Well, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in this story. I want you to think about that. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior today, you are in this story. If you are searching for him, maybe you've not yet decided whether he is your Lord and Savior or not, but if you are searching for him, you are in this story. Isaiah pointed to God's eventual return through Jesus. God's people and all of creation would once again sing and laugh and shout for joy because God would renew humanity and he would restore the world as he originally created it, becoming its king eternal. Jehovah Hamelech, the Lord, the king who reigns eternal. 
And you know what? That's what the Christian message is all about. There is hope for the world. His name is Jesus. You know, we're, we're, we're coming into the Christmas season. We finally put our Christmas tree up. We waited until it was December. Enough said. <laughs> but there's a famous Christmas carol. In actual fact, it's one of my favorites. It's called, Oh Holy Night. And there's a line in that carol that just might resonate with everybody here and now. And it says this, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. <laughs> Anyone identify with that? Oh, yeah, I can. I know I can. You know, these weeks leading up to Christmas, it's actually called the season of Advent. And the, the word Advent means the arrival of something notable, a notable thing or a notable person. But there are four key elements to Advent. The four key elements to Advent are this, love, joy, peace, and hope. They are the four key elements to Advent. And you know, that, that prophecy from Isaiah, it was like he was prophesying Advent 700 years early. I was writing my notes, and I had a little moment where I got distracted, and I was like, what would a 700-year Advent calendar look like? That is a whole lot of chocolate. <laughs> How many of you would be disciplined to only open one square a day for 700 years? I don't believe you. <laughs> for those of you who are off, that was Suzanne going, yeah, I would be. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what? Advent exists to remind us that while darkness may surround us, while troubles exist, the hope of Christmas is not far away. In actual fact, it's only a couple of weeks. <laughs> if you haven't started, <laughs> never mind, never mind. But I want you to think about this right here, right now, in this crazy, craziness that we're in right now. We are also in a season of Advent with four key elements, love, joy, peace, and hope. The hope of Christmas, the hope of the King coming to earth, the hope of the King of Kings coming into the story of humanity. Advent declares this hope is coming. Now, we know that this has actually literally already happened, but guess what? We are also in a season of Advent where he himself is going to return as the King of Kings. Jehovah HaMelech, the Lord, the King who reigns, we will see him again. The hope of Christmas, Jesus entering the story of humanity. Is he in your story? These recent months have been quite tough. We all know that. That's just real, and we don't want to ignore that. Perhaps right now, perhaps you're feeling that actually there's just too much difficulty, there's storm all around. Uh, perhaps you've got the sense of your destination, where you're going is just too far away. You know, we try and adjust our eyes, we, we blink, and then we squint. You know, we try and get a better focus by squinting. I've always, I've always wondered about that. How do we think we're going to better, get a better focus if we go and sort of half shut our eyes? I think we're trying to do the job of the muscles around our eyes and sort of like refocus our eyeballs by going, If things are hard, heavy, and too far away for you right now, I want to tell you, don't give up. There is a way that we can refocus. There is a way where we can get a fresh focus 
And it's in the Word of God. We can change our perspective in this Advent season. And so what we're going to do is we are going to look through the lens, the same lens that God's people back in the day looked through. We are going to look through the Word. Those people were waiting for the Messiah. We are waiting for the return of the Messiah. Christ was in their story. Will you let him into yours? 500 years had passed from the last recorded prophet of Israel to Jesus' return. The last recorded prophet of Israel was Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And between the book of Malachi and the Gospels being written, there was essentially 500 years of silence. No prophetic word, no prophetic utterance, no declaration of a coming Messiah. And, you know, here again, I, I put myself in the story and, um, you know, I, I sit at a roundabout in Blenheim right now and I'm waiting there for 1.5 minutes and I go, how long? How long? I was talking to someone the other day who uh, lived, used to live in India and uh, they lived in a city of 22 million people. And I was like, yeah, I have got no right to complain. <laughs> But think, 500 years of a promise that Isaiah had declared 200 years before Malachi of a coming Messiah. I think Israel probably had gone, how long, God? How long before the Messiah? How long before our salvation? How long before peace? How long before the dark is removed and God can be seen? God, why are you silent? Now, for those of you who are a little bit more perspective, no, a little bit more perceptive, you might notice that I'm wearing different glasses this morning. It's because they've only just arrived. They're brand new. These lenses, they're called progressive lenses because I, I, need, I need glasses to see to read, but I've also got some distant stuff as well. So they're multifocus all the way through. But these glasses, have got, they've got a whole bunch of new technology, including anti-fog coating. So when I wear my mask, they don't fog up, which is really cool. But the lenses themselves have been remodeled so that the corridor of focus is both clearer and wider. One of the reasons I am going to have been and going to continue to encourage you strongly to read your Bible and to get into the Word of God is because as you do, it'll be just like getting new remodeled glasses. The more you read the Word, the clearer things become. The more you read the Word, the wider your perspective of how God can work and is working becomes clear. You know, we, we've got this immeasurable advantage. And I again, I, I put myself... Into the, into the time and the characters and the position of the people in the Bible, and then I put myself back where I am right now. You know the unbelievable blessing, privilege, and advantage that we have right now? Is that we've got the whole book. We've got the whole story. We've got the whole Word of God. Back in the day, when Jesus was prophesied, they didn't. They didn't. But here's why we need to get into the Word. Here's why we must learn and lean into the Word of God. Because in John chapter 1, let me read what happens in John chapter 1 verses 10 through 14. 
He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But, verse 12, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I love that. In the message translation, it says, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It's just so, just such a great way to say it. It was like Jesus, God rocked up and he became part of our story. He moved into our neighborhood. It's like a, a new, new neighbor coming in. What do you do? You get a, have a barbecue. You greet them over the fence. You offer to feed their cat. Well, guess what? Jesus came and he looked over the fence. He didn't offer to feed your cat. He offered to change your heart. Jesus put himself right smack in the middle of the story. I love that. You know, even with me getting excited about what I'm preaching, even right now, in, in the realness of what's going on in your world, maybe, maybe you're saying this, life is such a storm right now, I fear that I may, I may drown in it. Or I can't get to where I know where I'm supposed to go to. It's so far away. Now, all, all through this message, I've been asking this question, is Jesus in your story? I want to change the question now because I want to use the scriptures to show you how you can invite Jesus into your story and how your perspective can change. Here's the question. Is Jesus in your boat? Let me read to you one. I've got, a, I've got two different boat stories from the Bible to read to you. Both profound. Here's the first one. Mark chapter 4, verses 36 through verse 40. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? It wasn't really a question. It was more a statement. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the wave, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was a great calm. Then he asked them, why, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked. Even the wind and the waves Obey him. Now these guys, most of these guys were professional fishermen. You've got to wonder what the storm was like if they were freaking out. But actually there's a part of the story that I, I want to ask you this morning. So I want to give you a heads up right now. I've actually literally got in my notes, warning, a provoking question. <laughs> okay. Here it is. Now, I'm aiming this question not at those who don't know Jesus or those of you who are searching for Jesus. 
I'm asking this question of those of you who say you are a follower of Jesus. Here's the question. Believer, because of your faith, Jesus is in your boat. But is he asleep? What do I mean by that? By asking this question, I'm asking this. Is your faith in Jesus alive and active? Are you active in your faith? Are you active in your worship? Are you active in reading the Word of God? Are you active in your prayer? Are you active in your serving? Are you active in your giving? Are you active in your loving and encouraging and reaching out all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are you active? Is Jesus awake in you today? Is Jesus in your story or is he just a bookmark at some given date when you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? Here's the second story. We're going to go to John chapter 6. Now, in this, uh, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 people. And they were, it literally says that they were going to try and force him to become king. And he kind of disappears from them all. And it says this, first, reading from verse 16 through 21. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and they headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. <laughs> they were terrified. But he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. They were very eager. <laughs> then they were eager to let him in the boat and get this. And immediately they arrived at their destination. I love this story. Now, I tell you before how I put myself into this. It's like I'm picturing myself. I'm in this fishing boat rowing across the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Now, geographically, the Sea of Galilee is 13 kilometers wide. Okay, so that's about 8.1 miles. Now, the Bible teaches us that they had rowed three to four miles. So they were about halfway across the sea, yeah? Now, here's some thoughts. They were rowing and a storm hits them. But in this story, they were not afraid of the storm. Jesus wasn't even in their boat. But there are some key elements that I want you to take out of this. It says they had been waiting for him. They'd been hanging out with Jesus and they had been waiting for him. Do you only go to Jesus when you want something? Or do you hang out with him and wait for him and wait on him? Do you give him room to give you answers. What's one of those answers? The next bit says this. They got in the boat and they started to row towards Capernaum. They knew where they were going. How did they know where they were going? Because they had been hanging out with Jesus and they were waiting on him. They knew where they were going because Jesus had clearly told them, we go to Capernaum next. Now, coming through halfway through the story... They're in the storm. There's, there's, they're not freaking out about the storm in this story. But then Jesus starts walking towards them on the water. Then they were terrified. 
Okay, these guys are professional fishermen. They know what it is to see weird creatures come out of the water. They ain't never seen anything walk on the water before, except for Jesus, because he did it a couple of times. But then what happens? Jesus calls out to them. What happens next? They immediately recognize his voice. They eagerly invite him into their boat. And then, oh, I love, I love, love, love the next bit. It says, immediately they arrived at their destination. Now, wait a minute. They're halfway across the Sea of Galilee. They've still got another three to, they've still got another four or five miles to get to Capernaum. Jesus gets in the boat and immediately they are at their destination. In our journey with God, there is a whole lot of slowly and steadily. I mean, you're not going to get a boat up on a plane if you're rowing it. Unless maybe your name's Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, I don't know. So slowly, steadily, they'd rowed three to four miles. Slowly, steadily, slowly, steadily, Jesus gets in their boat suddenly. Let me give you a very real very here example of a slowly, steadily, suddenly. If you haven't caught up on the news that I put out on our Facebook page and uh, we sent out to the church today, for two years, two years we have been fundraising and people have been faithfully sowing into the new basketball court for our college that we're developing. Two years we've been doing that. We had 141 squares to go at the beginning of last week. What does that equate to? That equates to $14,100. Guess what? Halfway through this week, bang, basketball court is paid for. Slowly, steadily, suddenly. We kept putting it before God. We kept thanking God. We kept waiting on God. We hung out with Jesus. We said, God, we know this is your plan. We know this is your vision. This is something that is going to be part of the bigger picture that, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of those who've sown. Lord, we continue to call in the finances. Lord, we look to you, our source, our provision. You are our Jehovah Jireh. For two years, we give you glory, Lord. This is the development of the vision. Bang, in one week. $14,000 comes in, paid for. How good is that? Slowly, steadily, immediately they arrived at their destination. I love that. I love that. I love how God can blow your mind so regularly. Have you been waiting on Jesus? Do you know where you're going? If he came walking towards you in the middle of a storm, in the middle of darkness, and he spoke... Would you recognize his voice? Do you know the destination that God has for you? Is Jesus in your boat? Is Jesus in your story? Right here, right now, you can invite Jesus into your story. Rachel, if you've got the, uh, our host, if you've got the link for the connect card, could you please put that up uh, in, in the chat? You know, maybe this morning... 
Jesus is in your boat. You, you are a believer. You follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it just seems like the storm around you. And you're at a point where you're going, don't you care that I'm going to drown? Is Jesus asleep? I mean, I know that's a hard question. And I, 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 I ask that question and I hope you hear my heart. I don't ask it to offend. I do ask it to provoke. Is Jesus asleep in your boat? Is he just a bookmark? In your story? Or is he in every page? Is he co-writing your story with you? Is he the engine room of your story? Is he the hope of your story? Is he the love, joy, and peace of your advent? You can invite Jesus into your story, into your boat right here, right now. You don't need to be gathering in a church auditorium. Right in your own home, you can ask him in. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. The second half of verse 8 says this. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. I could, I could make that here and now. This message, this message is the very message about faith that I am preaching to you. Verse 9. If you will openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you invite Jesus into your story this morning? Please do not leave Jesus asleep in your boat. But wake him up. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> it kind of sounds weird. Would you wake Jesus up? Maybe what we just need to do is we need to stir up our faith. Stir up our worship. The Apostle Paul says to his, his protege, Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift. You know, salvation is a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's a gift from God for those who will believe. Fan into flame. Stir it up. Let Jesus arise and declare peace. Be still over your wind and waves this morning. Will you invite Jesus into your boat? Will you invite Jesus into your story so that he can help you get to your destiny? Listen for his voice in the middle of the storm. Look for him walking towards you and eagerly invite him into your boat.